The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit. Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Before we begin, I'd like to ask you to seriously consider becoming a patron of The Bearded Wit by going to patreon.com forward slash The Bearded Wit. You can support me from as little as $5 a month, which is essentially a cup of coffee, uh, and that will mean that I will be able to continue producing this material and other podcasts that I do, and it would mean the world to me to have you um, know that you're, you've got my back on this. Uh, I love producing this material for people, and it's been a huge pleasure for me to do this, uh, which basically started as a project for family and friends right back at the beginning of March last year uh, when the COVID-19 virus was really beginning to kick in. It was a way of basically connecting friends and family all over the world who were finding it a bit difficult as we all did and it's grown into something where I've got a lot of people listening all over the world. It would mean the world to me if you could take the time just to pop over to patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit, sign up from as little as five dollars a month, as I say uh, it's a cup of coffee. It would mean the world to me because the more of you guys, you fabulous people out there that do it, the more I'm able to do more of this stuff for you on an ongoing basis. No obligation, but if you can, I would be so deeply grateful. Also, if you could take a moment to pop over to Facebook and uh, give The Bearded Wit a like and follow, uh, and also go over to my new YouTube channel as well, um, just search for The Bearded Wit, uh, and subscribe. Uh, I'll be putting all of the live readings slightly edited um, and cleaned up a bit uh, onto that uh, over the coming weeks. Um, But yeah, join up, uh, get involved, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the usual social media things. Okay, on with the reading. Thanks very much, everyone. Part 43. Uh, Brain, hello. Uh, Where did we get to? We are now, this is, I think, episode 43. I think the last one before Christmas was 42, um, uh, which was a kind of milestone of epic um, qualities, of course. Uh, Oh, good. Uh, Tom has tea coming, which is excellent. Um, so yes, we are in the last book of the uh, of the six book trilogy, uh, and another thing penned by Owen Colfer, uh, with the blessings of the Douglas Adams estate. Uh, it is the book that was slightly more upbeat uh, than the ending of of the previous work uh, by um, by Adams. Uh, and the book that he kind of um, intimated that he would have wanted to write, uh, he felt that he'd sort of left everything on a bit of a downer um, with the fifth book of the series. So we are we are into this book and we've got to a point where basically um, the premise is that the entire gang was saved from Stavromula Beta or Stavromula Beta, the nightclub in London that was being uh, gradually zashed by the Grebulons. Uh, he was saved, they were all saved by the arrival of Wowbag of the Infinitely Prolonged, um, who basically slowed down time and that they were able to escape and all sorts of other stuff happened. Uh, and, and uh, oh, did he? No, never mind. It's, they were saved, but things were going horribly wrong. Uh, and basically they've, they've managed to escape the death rays, uh, but we are still trying to work out what's going on in terms of, of where people are going to end up in all of this. Um, one thing we have found is that Zaphod has made a promise to Wowbagger the Infinitely Prolonged that he can and will arrange for him to finally be killed. Um, for those of you who've read the earlier books or listened to this, you will know that Wowbagger was accidentally given immortality uh, and was so pissed off at this that he ended up deciding to go and insult every living thing in the galaxy in alphabetical order that has really become a bit boring for him now uh, he's seen every single thing that's ever been produced uh, in, 
in, in, in film form a bajillion times and he now wants to find a way to end it all. And and Zephod has promised that uh, Thor would be the man to do this. Um, Zephod has blagged his way into Asgard after embarrassing Thor uh, tremendously, has managed to find Thor and persuaded him that he has this deal that he will basically broker between Wowbagger and himself to make sure that he will uh, have an epically good fight. So, where we got to at the end of the last um, reading was Thor was about to basically sort of... Well, he's shown that he was interested. He said to Zaphod to go on. He was listening to find out what the next bit would be. He wanted to restore his credibility. Zaphod was going to help him with that. You know you're in trouble when you need Zaphod Beeblebrox to, <laughs> to re-establish your credibility, don't you? Anyway, I'm burbling. Um, we crack on. We crack on. And another thing. Hillman Hunter. Hillman Hunter was more than just a stereotypical Irishman. He was a stereotype paddy from a bygone era, as imagined by an expatriate Celt with emerald-tinted spectacles and a head full of whisky and nostalgia. Atop Hillman's head sat a nest of curly red hair. His face was scattershot with brass penny freckles. His bow-legged walk suggested a youth spent in the saddle of a thoroughbred and a gold crucifix nestled in the V of his open collar. With regards to diddly-dee Irishness, Hillman Hunter was the whole bag of potatoes. When Hillman walked into a room, it took real effort not to greet him with a hearty Begara! Thank God for the soft day and inquire after the health of you too. Even his voice conformed to the expectations, and why wouldn't it, since Hillman had based his accent on that of Barry Fitzgerald, a 20th century Irish actor who was old when television was young. The rest of the hackneyed package was equally studied. Hillman had been dyeing his hair since it turned grey at the age of 18. He'd also become the wielder of curling tongs, and his fair complexion was freckled by long hours under the sunbed. And the motive for all this subterfuge? Simple. Something his nano had told him a long time ago. People buy comfort, she had said, slitting a pig's throat with a corn sickle. If you make them comfortable, then they will buy whatever you're selling. A combination of wisdom and arterial blood sorry, a combination of wisdom and arterial blood spray was irresistible, and Hillman never forgot his grandmother's lesson. Make people comfortable, then sell them whatever you like. So the young Hillman had transformed himself into the beloved actor and set about selling expensive stuff to rich folk. He hawked cars and yachts before graduating to horses and overseas property. He was a natural, gifted. People loved his oldie-worldie spiel and were charmed by his gifts of miniature diamond-encrusted shillelaghs. By the age of 40, Hillman was a millionaire on commission alone. By 50... He was halfway to being a billionaire and was commuting between residences in a Jaguar and walking around his estate with the help of two biohybrid hips that were better than the old ones and would call the manufacturer themselves if they broke. There was more money to be had, Hillman realised, if a sharp person could figure a way to round up all the rich folk in one place and keep them shelling out for stuff on a daily basis. But how to achieve this? The answer came to him in a flash of TV news headlines. Times were hard, and the short-staffed sisters of occasional sucker were being forced to auction off one of the church's properties. Specifically, the island of Inishfree. Hillman got so excited that his left hip put in a call to Japan. Innisfree, the island inspiration for Nano's all-time favourite movie, The Quiet Man. 
the celluloid home of his own personality template. Fate was dropping him a wink. Destiny was slipping him a brown bag. Providence was beating him over the head with the hint hammer. Hillman outbid a shadow corporation, which could have been traced back to a leisure group on Barnard Star by anyone with sub-ether capabilities, and purchased the island, complete with permission for a retreat that the nuns had been planning to build for weekend sherry parties. And on that first misty morning, as he putted across Sligo's Lough Gill on an outboard-powered skiff, Hillman Hunter knew that he had just found his crock of gold. "'Pay Jesus!' he'd sworn softly and in character. "'Tis the promised land!' Instead of a retreat, Hillman built Ireland's most luxurious spa residence, and to ensure that he attracted only the richest patrons, he'd invented a religion and thrown that into the brochure too. Guide Note Though Hillman Hunter had no way of knowing at the time, Who's What Where magazine had twinned him with Car Paltonul of Esflovian, another smooth talker who had managed to persuade several gated communities that it was simple logic that they would be chosen to survive when Armageddon arrived. His career was kick-started by an extraordinary good fortune when Armageddon actually did visit Esflovian in the form of an aggravated nuclear encounter therapy. Mr. Paltonel earned quite a few piles of currency as cult leader for hire, but he made his real fortune in software when he patented a program called God Guru, which allowed any would-be me-evangelist to type in a few facts about the community he intended to provide spiritual guidance for, and the computer would think about it for a minute or two, and then spit out an appropriate catechism, complete with the desired number of commandments, justification for any prejudices, and a divine hierarchy. The deluxe package gave the buyer the option of registering himself as an official god, using a legal loophole to bypass the usual three-miracle requirement. We shall be called nanites, Hillman had decided without the aid of software, and we shall believe in the existence of the planet Nano, which has been prepared for by the faithful, prepared for for the faithful by God. And some day these faithful will be collected in a spaceship and flown off, first class, mind you, to the aforementioned planet. So it would be just as well if the faithful were all gathered in one place awaiting collection by the spacemen. Because otherwise they would miss the flight and either be stuck on Earth for the apocalypse or have to take a later spaceship, where there might not be so much as a business class seat left. Hillman had thrown the entire gospel together with a couple of locals one drunken weekend in Casey's Bar in Skibbereen. The only significant problem they encountered was the correct spelling of Apocalypse, which Hillman had been hitherto convinced contained an X. No one will fall for this, scoffed the tourist board, highly improbable, which of course almost guaranteed that the entire venture would be a huge success. The Irish super-rich landed first, followed by Russian and South African. Hillman cut a deal with some English royals for a bit of credibility, and the floodgates opened. Which really annoyed Hillman, as those floodgates had been guaranteed for at least 20 years, and he lost two-thirds of his reclaimed beachfront. Three years later, Hillman was head shepherd of his own little mega-wealthy flock, who were dying off at a rate of half a dozen per month, and leaving sizeable chunks of the Earth's wealth to Hillman, so long as he promised to freeze their heads until the aliens arrived. "'It works because it's easy,' Hillman often told Buff Orpington, his second-in-command. "'You don't have to do anything to be a nanite. Nothing gets cut off. Nobody holds you underwater. No scripture, no guilt, no commandments. All you have to do is be rich and wear a nanite T-shirt on Tuesday for the lunch buffet. "'It couldn't be easier.' Guide note. In point of fact, there was one religion that was even easier than belonging to nanoism. The members of the Temple of Softly Softly, which was very popular in the Brequindian mind zones, realised that most of the universe's major wars had been caused by zealots aggressively spreading their own religion. 
So they decided that their own method of baptism would be completely painless and could be performed without the knowledge of the baptized. All it took for one of the fa- all it took was for one of the faithful to point his smallest digit in your direction for five seconds and softly say, "Beep." Then, as far as they were concerned, you were a member of the church. Which, with within five Brequindian years, the Temple of SS was the fastest growing religion in the mind zones. Unfortunately, as there were no holy wars in the name of softly, softly, and not a single person was mutilated, the temple was not recognised by the Galactic Council of Religions and did not qualify for charitable status and so disbanded in less than half a lunar cycle. Hillman Hunter was proud of what he had created and was in negotiations with an Australian minister to build a second compound in the Antipodes. Then, one Thursday afternoon, as Hillman sat on the toilet playing a game of pool on his touchscreen phone, a video call came through from an out-of-area number. This intrigued Hillman. I've lost my space, sorry. Uh, This intrigued Hillman, as his phone was not a video phone. He took the call, making sure to angle the screen away from his exposed knees, half thinking that maybe Nana was upset with him for misusing her name and was on the blower from the afterlife. A face appeared on Hillman's screen. It was not Nano's face. Not enough chins or bristles. Top of the morning to you, said Hillman brightly, taking comfort in his persona. And who might you be? I might... Sorry. And who might you be? I might be the answer to your prayers, said the face. I might be the end of your rainbow. Hillman used a catch-all quote from his nano library. Oh, really, O'Reilly? The face frowned. What? What's that? Please speak clearly. Your accent seems to be confusing my fish, which never happened with the other monkeys. Insane, thought Hillman, not unreasonably utterly delusional. I agree, Hillers whispered the voice of his dead grandmother. "'The shapes your mouth is making don't match the words coming out of it,' noted Hillman. "'And anyway, this phone doesn't do video.' "'One of the marvels of me,' explained the mysterious head, in a vague manner Hillman would come to know well. "'And the mouth-word thing is because you are without a babelfish, and so the ship is insta-translating. "'Okay?' Get the picture, ape man? Oh, I think I know who it is now. Enough of this larking about, thought Hillman. Rightio, he said. Well done on the phone hacking, but I must toddle off now. I have a religion to lead. He hung up and stood to embark on the complicated fine motor task of buttoning the flies on his tweed trousers. Not so fast, said the head, which had now appeared magnified on the bathroom door. It takes more than disconnecting to cut me off, Hillman Hunter. Hillman dropped his trousers in shock, backpedalling onto the toilet. What in the name of all that's sacred, he gasped. How did you do that? The head scoffed. This? You call this doing something? Here I am, ready to hand you the ultimate power trip, and you think you're throwing a projection on a flat surface with a metal frame is doing something? Hillman, my friend, you are an ignorant palm wrangler. No offence. Hillman hadn't been taking offence until he heard the words, no offence. A thought occurred to him. Are you from Nano? Is that it? Was I bloody right all the time? Hillman had been selling the nano line for so long that sometimes he half sold himself. The head laughed so hard that he was forced to breathe into a paper bag. No, you weren't right, stupid monkey. There is no planet nano. And then his mouth twitched in a sly grin. 
Not yet there isn't. Go on, said Hillman, his nose for a deal completely overriding his profound scepticism. I have been looking for an investment on your planet, which won't be around for long, by the way. The sub-ether spat out this little compound, and it seems to me that all your elderly rich people would fork over every gold coin they possessed if someone could actually take them to Nano before the Earth explodes. Once they arrive at the mythical Nano, then they would surely need a supreme leader. Supreme leader, thought Hillman, and then thought, this is such a crock of cowshite. Suddenly, his nano's voice whispered to him, as it often did when his life was at an important crossroads. Take heed, Hillers, this fool can do more for, more for you than he knows. The apoxylypse is coming, and it's about time to be off this planet. I knew there was an X, thought Hillman. Aloud, he said, it would take one big Jesus of a convincing argument for this scam to work. The face's grin grew a couple of incisors wider. How about a big spaceship just appearing out of thin air? Do you think that would persuade the other monkeys? Hillman let the monkey comment pass. This was business, after all. Got any robots? I can do better than that said Zaphod Beeblebrox, for of course it was he. I can get you a floating head. Nano. So now, Hillman Hunter was the big boss on the planetoid, presiding over 87 elderly rich people and their staff. He was wealthy and powerful, but never seemed to have a minute to himself to enjoy it. Retired rich folk, he was quickly finding out, were the most demanding people in the galaxy. Nothing was ever good enough or ready fast enough. It didn't help that the Magrathian planet builders were dawdling over the snag list, making a big fuss over every detail, as if no one had told them that the houses would need roofs or floors. You want windows too? the foreman had said, eyebrows almost taking flight in shock. You should have said that six months ago. My boys would have put him in if we'd only known. If you want windows now, we're going to have to hold off on the plumbers who are already on the site, by the way, and that won't please the painters, who are in after the plumbers, and some of the painters are married to the plumbers, which cause tension in the household. And we're short on workplace masseuses at the moment, so there's going to be some nasty lactic acid build-up in some of my boys' shoulders. At the end of the day, it's your money and your decision... All I'm saying is that you should have said something earlier when it was convenient, instead of throwing in the entire project into financial freefall with your wild demands. Guide note. In all of recorded history, there is only one confirmed instance of a builder acceding to a change in the plans without lapsing into histrionics. This happened in the case of Mr. Carmen Getim, a Beetlejuicean auto dealer who sent plan revisions back in time to inform the builder of the changes before the project started. It should be pointed out that Mr. Getim had the note delivered by a particularly vicious lantern-jawed terrier. When he wasn't negotiating with the builders, Hillman spent his time trying to find a god suitable to rule the planet, a task which was not proving as enjoyable as he had envisaged. Hillman had imagined himself engaging in philosophical conversations on the nature of happiness or being wowed by awesome displays of godly power. Instead, he had been forced to grind his way through a sludge of padded resumes in which demigods tried to make themselves sound a lot more significant than they actually were. Anyone that's done any kind of recruitment will know what those resumes are like. Hillman quickly realised that when a god put in a line on a page or two about taking a sabbatical for divine contemplation, that actually meant that he had been unemployed for the past 10,000 years. When a god claimed to have gradual meteorological influence, 
It simply meant that he looked up the forecast and then claimed to be responsible for whatever weather happened. And if a god was making a big deal out of his omnipresence, there was a very good chance that he had a twin brother floating around somewhere. Dross, thought Hillman dolefully. Dross and steamers, not one nugget of quality. He was just consigning the latest batch of applications to his desk incinerator when Buff Orpington stuck his head around the corner. Yep, Buff, are we set? Buff's jowly face wobbled. All ready, Hillman. We're of a mind to kick some ass. Hillman's mood was not improved by these fighting words. Kick some ass. Most of the colonists can barely move faster than a slow jog. Any asses they're going to kick would have to be stationary, soft, and very low slung. The asses in question were the drooping buttocks of Nano's Western colonists, who'd kidnapped Kong's French chef for religious reasons. The reasons being that they were tyromancers who firmly believed in divination through the medium of semi-congealed cheese. And Jean-Claude's signature dish was a heavenly four-cheese quiche with capers and smoked salmon. The tyromancers were fine with the capers and salmon, but had decided that the cheesy filling was heresy. The Magrathians warned me that things like this might happen, Hillman realised dolefully. Moving planet is the most traumatic thing that can happen to a being, other than being slathered in barbecue sauce and then dropped into a pit with the bug bladder beast of Tral, whatever that is. People become fanatical about what they left behind. This tyromancy started out as a bit of a hobby on Earth, but it has become a huge obsession here on Nano. Acid Preflux has managed to convert his entire settlement. Hillman followed Buff outside, and it occurred to him that from the rear, Buff looked like a grizzly bear squashed into plaid trousers and a windbreaker. A stout hairball of a man whose arm hair actually swished in the wind. In the town square, the troops were lined up ready for inspection, and the line was even worse than Hillman had imagined. There were no staff left. Not a single one. He rounded on Buff Orpington. Where are the personal trainers? Gone. Not Lewis. All of them. And their beauty therapists. We haven't seen a beauty therapist for nearly a week. My Christelle hasn't had a manicure in ten days. She's at a wit's end. Hillman was shocked. Ten days? That's barbaric. Why didn't somebody tell me? You were busy with the interviews. Place is falling apart, Hillman. We barely have half a dozen chefs left for the entire town. People are being forced to... Buff took a deep breath to steady himself. To cook for themselves! Hillman's Irish temper flared. We did not pay several enormous fortunes to cook for ourselves. What about contract? These people all signed contracts. Buckeye Brown, a Texan oilman, piped up from the line. My guy, Kiko, told me to stick my contract where the sun don't shine. He said that this is a new world and we should all be equal. He said that we were treating the servants like slaves. Hillman was appalled. This was what happened without a divinely ordained chain of command. This has got to end. First we rebuff the invaders, then we get our staff back from the world for their own good. How can young, fit people with no business skills hope to survive on, a, on this verdant new world? Bejesus! The bejesus was almost an afterthought. Hillman was so agitated that he nearly forgot who he was trying to be. Buckeye glanced gloomily at the toes of his Ferragamo alligator moccasins which he was almost certain would scuff in the wild. You want us to go out in the wild? My daddy told me about it, but I, I, I've never done been there. Never done been to school, neither, thought Hillman. 
We're not going into the wild, Mr. Brown. Sure, that's a game for the young people. No, we'll tempt those rascals back with premium plus apartments. Buff was horrified. Not Lagoon View premium plus. If necessary. With 24-hour concierge service? I doubt it. The concierge team jumped ship a month ago. We'll have to give the concierges apartments, maybe gym memberships too. But the concierges can't service themselves, wailed Buff. That's, that's just insanity. Has the world gone mad entirely? Like all good salesmen, Hillman was in quick with the solution. Robots, laddie. We'll get robots. I hear the serious corporations have service androids with genuine people personalities. It's perfect. What could go wrong? My Irish accent is going everywhere. Sorry. <laughs> I suppose that might... Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. I suppose that might work, said Buff, mollified. Or, or maybe we could import aliens who actually enjoy labouring in the sun. They could pay us. You could look it up in your hitchhiker book. I will do that as soon as we send these jokers packing. Hillman looked around John Wayne Square and wondered how things had gone wrong so quickly. Six months ago, this plaza had been a stunning centrepiece for their new society, and now there were weeds sprouting through the flagstones and strange blue bugs eating holes in the glass. We need a god, and we need one fast. Buckeye Brown cleared his throat. How do we even know if the Tyromancers will mount an offensive today? Buff addressed that one, happy to have solid information to relay. He spread his legs, bouncing slightly on the balls of his heels, as though he were about to heft a barbell. It's the only day they can come. Monday through Wednesday is cheese-making. Friday is the actual reading of the cheese. Saturday and Sunday are for contemplation of the message of the cheese. Thursday is the only day when secular activities are permitted. And we know this how? Ah, I see subbed over a mail, in case any of us want to join up. Nice presentation, I have to say. Oh, God, I'm going crazy. Let's try that again. <laughs> oh, I see subbed over a mail, in case any of us want to join up. Nice presentation, I have to say. A lot of floating cheese icons. Apparently, if we don't join up, then we bring e-damnation on the whole planet. Hillman's jaw flapped for a moment. Then, e-damnation, e e you're not serious. Buff grinned. Serious as a dry well, Hillman. He pulled a crumpled missile from his pocket. Ah, here it is. The day of e-damnation shall be visited upon the non-believers in a huge and terrifying form, possibly cheese-related, but any huge and terrifying form can be understood to have emanated from the cheese. Hillman was getting pretty cheesed off with the word cheese. Huge and terrifying, Jesus. Who, who writes this junk? Aced does. The first gospel of tyromancy, he's calling it. That jumped up little ginger fat bollocks, swore Hillman. Who does he think he is? This question brought forth a determined round of not answering from the assembled troops, as Aced was principally pretty much identical to Hillman apart from some styling and sartorial issues, and it appeared that Hillman was the only one who didn't recognise this. Luckily, they were spared any embarrassment as Buff's phone jingled in his pocket. Oh, my phone. What a pity. I was just going to answer that question about who AC thinks he is, but now my phone is ringing, so I better answer that and not actually answer the question. Real shame. He fumbled the cell phone from his pocket and slid it open. Yeah? You sure? Okay, we're on the way. 
Buff closed his phone and then held it aloft with great melodrama. The Tyromancers approach! What? Really? Who was that? It was Silky. She's on lookout from the coffee shop in Book Barn. Book Barn was the mall's highest building, with a glass-walled coffee shop on the third floor. From there, a lookout could keep an eye on the main road while browsing the latest releases. Silky Bantam usually volunteered for the lookout's job because she was an avid horror book fan and could get through a few ghoulish chapters while she watched. How did she sound? Pissed off. She had to make her own coffee. Hillman felt everything slipping away from him. The book ban people too. This tyromancer squabble had have to end today. Right o me laddies, he said, stamping a foot to pump himself up. How are we for weapons? This was Buff's domain. He had been quite the Kirk Douglas fan back on Earth, and so had been put in charge of the weaponry. Not too bad, he said, leading the ragtag brigade to the foot of the plaza's Sean the Boxer statue. Their tools of battle were laid out on the plinth. <clears throat> it's mostly gardening stuff, admitted Buff. The strimmer has a nice weight to it and could give a person a nasty cut. We have a couple of rakes for poking and tripping, that kind of thing. I myself provided this nine iron. Not my premium club, obviously, but it's got a good swing. Pretty dangerous in the right hands. Even though he himself had signed the agreement forbidding the transport of actual mechanical weapons from Earth, Hillman had hoped for a slightly more robust arsenal. This is great, he said with hollow enthusiasm. Let's show these feckers how the men of Kong can fight. He selected the strimmer and was about to press the starter button when Buff tapped his elbow. Uh, better hold off on that until we actually need it. Charge is a bit low. I see. Uh, usually Jose does all that, but he ran off with one of your maids. Right. Fine. Well, we can work with what we have. They strolled in a loose group towards the main gate. The compound had been designed along the lines of the original Innisfree, with a mall added in on the far side of the lagoon. There were pootletink birds standing in the shallow waters, some reading, but most working on their tans, and bemoaning the fact that a bird's drive disappeared so quickly when someone handed it a lovely crocogator-free lagoon. Guide note. The poodle tink birds have long been victims of their own attractiveness, that and relentless inbreeding. The poodle tinks were, for centuries, respected throughout the galaxy as weavers of fine feather tapestries, until a certain Galactic Council trade ambassador proclaimed their plumage to be exquisitely beautiful and a must for all fashionable lagoons. This effectively spelled the end of the Pootletink way of life as the culture vultures moved in and began to aggressively breed and cull the Pootletinks in the quest for the perfect plumage. Beautiful plumage. Which could then be shipped across the galaxy to brighten some diplomat's water feature. The Pootletinks did not put up much of a fight as they were vain creatures who do enjoy being stared at. Culture vultures, on the other hand, do not have a narcissistic feather in their wings and like to pass the time screwing over other species, then spending their profits on booze and sugary desserts. We are like the opposite ends of the same spectrum, a culture vulture once remarked to a pootletink, to which the pootletink replied, Yes, so long as one end of the spectrum is made of crap, and that's the end you're at. I have a thesis due in two months, one poodle tink lisped to a friend, and I haven't even started my research. Another spotted buff on the bridge. Hey, hey, Buffy, how's the swing coming? Not bad, Perko, not bad at all. You finished writing that book yet? Perko rolled his eyes. It's all in my head, Buff. I just need to park my backside on a chair and start typing, you know what I mean?
I know exactly what you mean, said Buff, who had no idea what the bird was talking about, but was in a mood for positive statements. The fighting men of Kong followed Hillman across the asphalt to the main gate, which their leader was forced to crank open with a winch. One of us should have learned the gate code, huffed Hillman as he laboured. This is ridiculous. The Magnetheans have subbed over the, over the backup codes and there are hundreds of them. Electronic gates, cash registers, sub-ether vision. Nothing works without the codes. I'm now in Liverpool. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Once the gate was open enough to slip through, the men stood at the checkpoint and gazed across the fuzzy humps of pur purple grass to the tropical forest that divided the two compounds. The tree branches crisscrossed densely and hung heavy with fruit and wildlife, apart from a half epileptic, half elliptic, half epileptic, sorry, half elliptic cylinder-shaped tunnel that had been laser-bored through to the other side. Hillman took out his phone and zoomed in on the tunnel mouth. I see the misguided feckers, he snorted, coming over on golf carts. Jesus, it's hardly the light brigade now, is it? The assembled band laughed heartily as they'd seen warriors doing in war movies, then used their phones to zoom in on the approaching convoy. Uh, I count ten said Buckeye, who had the most expensive phone with the best lens. Only eight of us. Yes, but we're on top of a hill, countered Hillman. So? So, everyone knows being up on a hill is vital, feckin' vital, mind, in these situations. Buckeye was miffed. I didn't know it. So that's not everyone, is it? Do you know it now? I suppose so. Well, that is everyone then, isn't it? Hillman took no joy from his victory in this little verbal spat. This was supposed to be a tranquil settlement. There were not supposed to be any spats. I don't see what's so good about this hill, said Buckeye sulkily. Some of us are wearing loafers, and there are a lot of sharp stones out here. The soles on these things are like paper. I wore my golf shoes, said Buff with a bloodthirsty grin, so I can stomp on these bastards, mash their brains. Guide note. Buff Orpington had happened to be a direct descendant. Why did I do him in a Texan? Oh, never mind. Guide note. Buff Orpington happened to be a direct descendant of Sigurd, the noble Viking warrior. Mr. Orpington was not aware of this, and all he knew was that he'd often added honey to his beer and fantasised about chopping his wife's pigtails off with an axe. He would later have his race memories extracted by a hybrid babelfish and take to wearing sealskin leggings on the golf course. Hillman realised... Uh, how quickly the coming confrontation would get out of hand. Hold up, dear boyo. There'll be no brain mashing. For one thing, the theatre nurses are shacked up with a couple of caddies in the 15th bunker, and for another, we're not working class here. No fighting unless absolutely necessary. OK, Hillman, said Buff, chastened. What if they insult us, or our parents, or grandparents? Hillman's cheeks lost their usual rosy hoo. If anyone insults my na uh, grandmother, then I crack open his skull. The nanites were not the only ones watching the highway. A small group of lithe, hungry carnivores squatted in the dense vegetation at the tunnel mouth. Strong fingers curled, tendons tight in anticipation of the attack. One, a hulking creature, raised a crust of bread to its mouth, tearing it with strong teeth, only to have it grabbed from his hand by the pack's leader. "'What do you think you're doing?' asked the leader, who was called Lewis Tidfill. "'I need energy,' replied his subordinate, who was only using one name, Pex. "'But that's bread!' "'So?' Carbohydrates after 3pm? Are you insane? Just one crust, that's all. 
Tidfield held up the bread held up the bread for all the personal trainers and beauticians to see. One crust, that's all it is. Do you know how many spoons of sugar there are in this one crust? Do any of you know? Two, ventured Pex. Seven, shrieked Tidfield. Seven! You eat this, and after three, you might as well shove a sugar pump up your ass. Come on, Lewis. Fifty push-ups. On your knuckles. Go! Pex scowled. I was hungry. I'm fed up with picking fruit from the trees. I want something fresh baked or cooked. That's why we're here. Now get going on those push-ups. Pex caught the eye of a manicurist that he'd taken a fancy to. Her nails looked like they'd been dipped first in blood and then in diamonds. He didn't really like the idea of humiliating himself in front of her. No, Tidfield, go hump yourself. Who made you leader? Lewis Tidfield drew himself up to his full height, bending one knee to show off his gas... Jesus Christ, his gastrocnemius. I made myself leader on account of my qualifications. I have qualifications. You're a fitness instructor, said Tidville, in a tone usually associated with murderous dictators, serial killers, or ex-girlfriends, handsome boyfriends. Any moron can spend a weekend in a crappy gym and become a fitness instructor. I have a diploma. I have a degree, thundered Tidville. I specialise in kettlebells. Tidfield trumped him again. I am an expert in the kinesis wall and I can take GP referrals. Pex drew a rolled up magazine from the front of his shorts, which was a bit of a letdown for the manicurist. I did a men's health pictorial. Look, there's me on the front. Tidfield put the final nail in his rival's coffin. I was the fitness advisor on a reality show. We had soap stars. There was no recovering from that. Pex dropped to his knuckles and began counting off the push-ups in sets of ten. Good, said Tidville. Now the rest of you stay hydrated and do your stretches. They will be here soon. He checked a few of his comrades. We're fading here. Some camouflage, please. Two beauticians with spray-tan tanks strapped to their backs painted stripes along the trainer's limbs. A power walker emerged from the trees. They're coming down the highway. Jean-Claude is in the last cart. OK, everyone, said Louis Tidfield. This is it. All we need to do is snatch Jean-Claude and its whole weed crepes for everyone. Let's warm up with a slow jog and then charge on my signal. What is your signal? asked Pex from the high point of a push-up. I will shoot you in the head with my starter's pistol. Uh, what? Or maybe I will just say charge. Any more questions? Pex's chin dipped low to the ground. Nope, got it. Tidfield's smile was wide and perfect. Good. Now, come on everybody, lift those knees, push it out. The personal trainers seemed to come out of nowhere, ripping into the last golf cart as soon as it cleared the tropical forest's fringe. What? What the? yelped Buckeye. Did you see that? Did everyone see what happened? No one replied, too focused on the drama unfolding on the asphalt. The attack was not precise, but it was lightning fast and furious. A group of tanned and toned athletes exploded from the planted border, swarming all over the cart that held Jean-Claude. In a flurry of biceps, they hustled the cart to the curb, tipping it off the road and down the verge. Then, in a flash of leotard and hair gel, they were gone. The driver never had the chance to press the emergency aid panic button hanging from a lanyard around his neck. The only evidence of the assault was a settling dust cloud and the trailing curses of a stocky trainer who'd not warmed up properly. It was several moments before the rest of the convoy even noticed 
that their rear guard was missing. Jesus, whispered Hillman, meaning it for once. That was... I can't believe it. I didn't know humans could move that fast. Buff, who had been to a talk about personal training once, nodded sagely. Yep, that's trainers for you. Extremely well moisturised. They turned savage, croaked Buckeye. Nobody's safe. You think we could start from one of those with a streamer? We're doomed, doomed! It was time for some leadership. Pull yourselves together, you crowd of chickens, snapped Hillman. We still have the Tyromancers to deal with. It was true. The Tyromancers had not turned back. If anything, they had increased their speed towards the Nanites' compound. In all probability, they were fleeing the scene of the ambush in case the trainers decided to strike again. Should we run down the hill? asked Buckeye. Just forget about the bloody hill, snapped Hillman. Then remembered that Buckeye was technically a customer. Uh, don't worry about the hill, sir. Just follow my lead. Crush their zarking skulls. Zarking, Buff? What the hell is zarking? Um, just a word I picked up from one of the merchants at the spaceport. Keep it to yourself, especially in front of the ladies. Buff shrugged. No problem. I wish I had a sword in my hand, a big zarker. Oh, sorry, a big two-hander with sheepskin on the handle. If I had a sword like that, I'd die happy and go straight to heaven. Buckeye tugged at his sleeve, a nervous tell. Uh, when this is all over, you, you need to talk to my wife, the town psychiatrist, if we can tempt her back from the beach. She shacked up with a young lifeguard. According to her, it's a clear case of projected reverse Oedipus. I tried everything, you know. Took a course of bastard pills so she could have the good guy or the bad guy. Hopefully I won't live beyond today's glorious battle, said Buff, blithely ignoring Buckeye's tale of woe. The Tyromancer's golf carts putted along Nano's only dual carriageway, a clear example of future-proof overkill, and proceeded steadily up the hill towards the compound. You might be better off, muttered Buckeye. Although he later claimed it to be accidental, at the precise moment the, the toe of Buff's golf shoe na sorry, although he later claimed it to be accidental, at that precise moment, the toe of Buff's golf shoe nudged Buckeye Brown's loafer, scuffing it badly. Guide note. This relatively innocuous incident would lead to a tit-for-tat vendetta that was to escalate over the centuries, culminating in the destruction of three planets, 18 loafer-class battlecruisers, and a small hotel on a neutral world. On the positive side, there was a forbidden love affair between two younger members of the families that was later turned into a movie, a series of books, and a moderately successful stage play. Related reading. Brown and Orpington, A New Breed, by Bandera Brown Orpington. The Tyromancers putted up the hill in a pretty cool semicircle form formation that died a death when driver number four neglected to put his foot on the brake and rolled back down the slope, crashing eventually into the foot of a bantali tree, which luckily for the driver was hibernating, or it would definitely have put a hex on him. Nice entrance, sneered Buff, swinging the nine iron nonchalantly. Aced Preflux stepped from the first cart, spent a moment broadcasting you're an idiot eye beams down at the stumped driver, and then turned his attention to the nanites. It was unnerving to see how much he looked like Hillman, right down to the widow's peak and pointed chin, like an infernal leprechaun. In fact, if the nanites had looked a bit closer at their nemeses, they might have noticed that there were several doppelgangers in the group. The cheese told me that you would say that about our, ex our entrance, said Aceed. A pity the cheese didn't mention anything about that ambush down the road, isn't it, Boyle? 
said Hillman quickly. His men rewarded the quip with a six on the laughter scale, one being a gentle chuckle and ten being uncontrollable guffaws. Hillman's joke clearly rated no more than a four. Do not mock the cheese, said Aceed furiously. You will bring down e-damnation upon us all. Buff took a bead on Aceed's forehead with the nine. You're about to be cream cheese. More laughter. A solid eight. Red spots bloomed on Aceed Prefluxes' cheeks. Yeah, go on, do all the cheese jokes. It's so easy, isn't it? Easy singles, muttered Buckeye. Yes, that's too. Let's get them all out of the way so we can get down to business. Aceed's men bunched threateningly behind him, looking as warlike as it was possible to look when armed with cheese-related instruments. What is that? asked Hillman, pointing to one wooden implement. Is, is that for cleaning drains? It is a churn plunger, as you well know. How would I know that, laddie? I have someone to make my cheese before I put it on a cracker. Blasphemer! shrilled Aceed, and his friends took up the cry. Listen to that din, said Buff. Oh, din. What? Nothing, Hillman. Why don't you let me take out these pansies? There are only eight of them left. Not yet, Buff. Maybe our friends don't want to fight. Maybe they've come to return John Carr to us. We have not, shouted Aceed, and then ran out of bluster. Actually, we... Well, we don't have him any more. Those chainers took him off to their beach settlement, I imagine. We saw you. So you left one of the faithful in the ditch. Aceed made a triangle with his forefingers and thumbs, which he then touched to his forehead. The cheese demands sacrifices, he said. The others copied his action. Appease the cheese, they intoned, with faces so solemn that they could have hired them out to an advertising agency as the before pictures in a blamo-brain antidepressant for the whole family campaign. Hillman and the nanites quickly made the after faces, laughing so hard that two of them farted. Appease the cheese, spluttered Hillman, <laughs> just, when, just when you think it can't get any nuttier. Aceed sighed. So, you're not going to join us? No, we're not. Why don't you join us, Preflux? Just go easy on the cheese stuff. We're all laid back here and together we could out with the staff. No, all must bow down to the cheese. Appease the cheese. It was Hillman's turn to sigh. I suppose we have to fight then. It is the only way, but no hitting in the face. Of course not. We're, not. we're not animals and no ghoulies. We are forbidden to make contact with the ghoulies of non-believers except through clubs of curd, which we still haven't managed to fabricate yet. Okay, so no face, no ghoulies. Buff was being held back by an invisible bungee. Come on, let's just go. One more thing said Aceed. I will be fighting, as will my disciples, with my churning hand in my pocket. So, in the spirit of fair play. So, no face, no ghoulies, one-handed. Agreed. If we win, then you will join our happy group. If you win, then we will keep coming back until we win. Hillman closed his eyes and listened for the voice of his nano. What should I do, Nano? The answer was immediate. Batter this cloud of steamers, Hillis. Give them a beat and they won't forget. Right-o, Nano, right-o. Aloud, he said, OK, Buff, do you ask? Buff Orpington's grin seemed to reveal more teeth than were usually found in a human mouth. <laughs> he cried, beating his chest like a bear. <laughs> Images of burning monasteries flashing behind his eyes. Death to the Tyromancers! Or at least a sound thrashing, said Hillman, 
thumbing the strimmer's power button. No goalies! squealed Aced as the mammoth buff Orpington bore down on him. No! No goalies! Then an enormous cheese wheel appeared in the sky, revolving over the combatants' heads, emitting an ominous hum. This sudden and most unexpected apparition shifted the crowd's focus faster than the appearance of eccentric glumbits wearing a neon t-shirt flashing the slogan Freebie Friday, which shift the focus at the crowd at a virgin nerd convention on a Friday. Even Buff Orpington's battle spasm drained from his skull, leaving a mist of disbelief behind it. It can't be! I don't believe it! Aced turned paler than a slice of double cream cheddar. E damnation! he howled, touching his fingers to his forehead. You, you boarded upon us, Hillman Hunter! Hillman powered down the streamer. Strimmer. What? No, sure, surely not. This can't be right, seriously! Aced and his band of tyromancers, triangling furiously, backed away from the compound wall. We won't die for your sins, Hunter. Face the wrath of the wheel alone. The tyromancers wheeled on their heels and ran, which is not easy to do when bowing and making the sign of the cheese, with the result that more than half their number took tumbles into the overgrown borders before eventually scrambling into the golf carts and winding back the way they came as fast as the electric motors would permit, quite prepared to run the personal trainer gauntlet. If the cheese had wanted to catch and smite them, it shouldn't have been a problem. But it seemed as though the cheese was quite content to hover imperiously above the nanites. "'What do you think?' asked Hillman, shouting the words out of one side of his mouth towards Buff. Buff shrugged his meaty shoulders. Uh, "'I'm not sure. Gowda, maybe, or, or Cheddar.' The cheese decided that it had enough of being a cheese, and so for a change became a rolling eye, which was one of its favourites. Hillman sighed massively, and his entire body relaxed as though his bones had jellified. Of course, I should have known. The enormous eye rolled madly, and then turned into a view screen which seemed to be playing some kind of reality show featuring a behemoth called Pinky. Pinky ran amok for a few seconds, and then the screen exploded in a cloud of small furry balls with teeth. Teeth that ate their own fur to reveal a glowing white spaceship underneath. A spaceship so cool that it made other cool-shaped spaceships, such as the Sirius All-Space Offworlder, look about as cool as a cluster of pimples on the nose of a 40-year-old man who was riding a bicycle with stabilizers around his office during a presentation on more efficient ways to unblock sewage pipes. Guide note. This analogy works pretty well just about everywhere, except in the town of Shank, near the famous infinity spools of Allosimanius Sinica. Shank is inhabited by the Pshorians, who are taught from infancy to defy expectations. In fact, anyone who meets expectations is given three chances and then hurled from the finger-shaped peaks of the moon cliffs. In actuality, people rarely get three chances because that's what they expect. In Shank, a spotty 40-year-old man on a stabilised bike would be the epitome of unexpected coolness. The fact that the presentation was about sewage pipes would be seen to be a nice touch, seeing as G on Allosimanius Sinica is only 1.2 metres per second squared and waste matter simply floats off into space. The gleaming white spaceship wobbled a bit, then solidified, with a noise like a huge slice of lemon colliding with a giant gold brick. A section of the fuselage fizzled like a glass of soda, and then disappeared altogether, revealing a tall, helmeted figure whose aura seemed to contain a choir of angels singing Thor 
in divine harmony. Hallelujah, whispered Hillman. Buff Orpington sank to his knees, weeping. Ha-ha! <laughs> should I say. That is where we will leave it for the evening. Seems like a good spot to wrap things up. Thank you very much for being here this evening. We are cracking on nicely. We've got... How far have we got to go now? We're 60% of the way through the book. <laughs> Exciting. So we've only got 40% of the Hitchhiker's Guide left. Before you all go, I need to do the usual thing of, of reminding you or asking if you would consider becoming... Uh, patrons of the Bearded Wit by going to uh, patreon.com forward slash the Bearded Wit and signing up. Uh, there are various levels that you can uh, you can sponsor me on or, or become a Patreon patron for, uh, starting basically at the price of a decent cup of coffee a month. Uh, I have a number of patrons, some of whom are here this evening um, and who are much loved. Um, so please do consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit. Um, I will set up a, a reading for next week. Let's crack on and uh, get some momentum going and see if we can get this book finished. Also, if you're new, uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, do find the rest of the stuff on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Amazon and everywhere, basically. Uh, it's out there now. Um, and do like, follow, share, spread the joy, uh, share and enjoy. Um, that would be great. Uh, thank you all so much uh, for being part of this. It is so much fun doing this stuff. It's really nice to be reading again. Um, and I will see you, same place, same time, next week. Take care, all. Uh, stay hoopy, be fruity. See ya. Bye now. <laughs>